I'm Poltergeist, and I make inappropriate songs about horror movies. So basically, I just came to see some naked D's and A's for free. Take a peek, take a key. Twelve cabins, twelve vacancies, twelve bodies, mother pray for me. I might go psycho occasionally. One body, too many pray for me, cause we all go a little mad sometimes. No happy ever after, just chapter after, chapter after, chapter. Massacre, make the ripper look like an amateur ambassador of the slashers. Michael! All of the apologies that you can muster from your dread Won't protect you on your bed Nothing will from Pumpkinhead This is not a dream, baby This ain't Halloween, baby When I'm on the scene, this is what we call a scream, baby Subscribe on YouTube at Poltergeist OD Follow me on Instagram and the Slasher app at Poltergeist underscore OD The following podcast is a production of The Network Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Silence Your Phones. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Chavez, and I'm here with Sean Fritz. I didn't do it. I didn't say it. I almost did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm here. I'm here, Chris, on your movie review podcast. <laughs> did I not say you're, you're the host? What? No, no, I, you did. I just I filled in the, host, the parts yeah. that you didn't. What did I say? Oh, oh, the movie review podcast? We're not doing that anymore. We're not yeah, a no. movie review podcast. We're a, we're a podcast about silence. We're a podcast about not like turning off your phone ringer in public spaces. Nobody wants to hear that you've got, you know, Lizzo's newest banger as of as a ringtone. Just drop my phone, <laughs> or just the even, sound of dropping phones. I, as a I don't ringtone. even know who that is. <laughs> you don't no know who wants, Lizzo is, dude. No, I don't need to know. It's Oof. that's not. Yeah, you no one wants to hear there. your ring doorbell <laughs> notification because everybody knows what that sounds like. Yeah, no, dude. I just, I want to, I really do. I want to move away from saying the movie review. It just sounds, it's such a tongue twister. So it's a mouthful after a while. And so it's just like, you know what? We're silence your phones. If you don't know what this is by now, we're what? Over, this is 50, episode 50, actually. 52, 53, something like that. We're in there. No, Last Dragon was 50, wasn't it? Um, Sure. I believe the last one was 50. So Um, um, yeah, this is 51. If they do not know that this is a movie review podcast by now. Then they the should point? have read. They should have read the show notes. Yeah, read the show notes. <laughs> that's that's the whole reason that they're there. <laughs> Otherwise, you're gonna find yourself stumbling into a podcast about people bitching about ringtones, or you know, work speak, executive talk. <laughs> <laughs> work speak, executive talk. You're about to fly out here, so we've got to get straight to the movie. You watched the first thing this morning. I yeah, I got I got like um, I got unlike five days, I got. <laughs> five hours to get to the airport oh we're on a time crunch now so we're gonna put oh, we the little timer time. on in the corner like 24 
right? And just let it Jeez. tick down as we, no, as we go, go to, off on side tangents and that shit's ticking down faster. 20, 24 would go just to a black screen, <laughs> wouldn't it? With just a screen, you know, I had that, that first screensaver one time. It was very helpful for work because <laughs> I could see what time it was. If I ever walked away and walked back, I'm like, all right, it was what time? So now I got to figure this out. It was this time. This much time has passed now. This is where we're at. Um, all right. So this week we decided we're going to check out a movie that kind of transitions us from action movies. We were we were doing a lot of martial arts action movies. Uh, and then Last Dragon had some gangs in it. So we're just kind of transferring our way around and messing around with some action. But we decided to throw some comedy in there as well. Uh, and the reason for it was because of the recent passing of Josh Groban. Charles or Grodin. Charles Grodin, or whatever you want to call him, <laughs> James <laughs> Broland, James Bro- Josh Brolin. Uh, <laughs> you know, you saw this guy in the Goonies. You recognize him. Uh, no, we decided to check out the Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin 1988 action comedy Midnight Run. I love to travel by train. Oh, yeah? What do you think this is, a class trip? A tough ex-cop. Are you always this angry? A sensitive criminal. Oh, no, no, come on, come on. Cigarettes are killers. Why are we running away from the FBI? Because I got to bring it back myself, otherwise I won't get my money. They can't fly. They also suffer from acrophobia and claustrophobia. I'll tell you what, if you don't cooperate, you're going to suffer from fistophobia. They're seeing America the hard way. Why would you eat that? It doesn't taste good. At gunpoint. What did you do before you did this? What qualified you for this? He's gaining. No kidding. He's flying. Of course he's gaining. Robert De Niro. It is truly in your best interest to just relax. I'm totally relaxed. Charles Grodin. $2, that's all you're going to leave? That's 15%. That's 13%. These people depend on tips for a living. From the director of Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Run. Grodin. Grobin. Grodin. This one's Grodin. The other ones are Grobin. I, I believe you. Excellent. Midnight Run, 1988, action comedy. Dude, have you ever seen this before? Never. No. Same. And I thought I'd seen a bunch of, like, I, I'm a huge fan of Robert De Niro, and I, I, don't, I wouldn't go to so far as to say I've seen every single one of his films. There's ones that I haven't seen. but There's ones you don't want to see. I didn't even know this one. Like, I didn't, hadn't heard about, I mean, I'd heard the title of this film before, but I'd never known that he was a part of it. I didn't know it was an action comedy. I didn't know it was one of these kind of, action comedy buddy like not a cop film because they're not cops but it is kind of like that road trip buddy comedies where you know you have the one straight the straight man and the one that's kind of you know this one's different it's not like a slapstick comedy like the jokester comedy in straight man did you ever see the movie with zach galifianakis and robert downey jr yes that's what that is is like that's slapstick more so with rob or with Zach Galifianakis. It's very similar to this. I think so, but see, I feel like Zach Galifianakis has the same kind of deadpan delivery that Groden, Groben, Josh Groden, Charles Groden, (laughs) Charles Groden. (laughs) But Zach Galifianakis is subtly goofy, whereas Robert Downey Jr. was overly serious in that movie. Yes, yes, that's true. That is true. Um, I did not expect what we got in this film. So, you know, it was, I, I finished watching it and I was just like, man, 
Like, number one, how did I know, not know about this movie? And number two, damn, I'm glad I watched it because this was a very enjoyable film to watch um, if you're into this kind of movie. So let's get right into the plot. So the idea is Robert De Niro is a bounty hunter, right? And he collects on, on the bounties of, of people who, who skip bond, skip bail. And uh, he gets hired by a bail bondsman, the guy he works with the most, this Joe Pantoliano character, um, to go and pick up a white-collar criminal, this guy who is skipping bail. And he was, was he skipping bail on, like, who would, like, who, from the FBI? Like, who was it that he was skipping bail on? Like, how did, I don't I didn't get that piece of it. Uh, I do believe that he was caught embezzling, and that's what he was being uh, prosecuted for. So because he was an accountant and he was, he had That's to the tune of $15 million, he was, he had committed a crime, not the justification of the crime and who it was against, but right. that the, a crime was committed. Yeah, that's what it was. And so he posted bail and ended up skipping town. And so De Niro's got to find him and they got word that he's in New York. So Pantoliano decides he wants to send De Niro's character because De Niro's one of his best. And uh, De Niro wants to do it because this is going to be his final payday. He's going to make six figures so that he can finally stop doing this bounty hunting shit and open up a coffee restaurant. What's up? Was it was it hundred thousand? Oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it yeah, was yeah. fifty. Yeah, it was a hundred thousand. Um, initially, he was going to be less, and then he's like, "No, I want a hundred thousand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so he wants to open up a coffee shop. The backstory is that De Niro's character used to be a cop in Chicago. Right. And then he had gotten, you know, we find out later that he he had to make a choice whether he was going to be uh, killed, arrested or, or sent out of town because the mob wanted him to kind of work for him for them. And he said no. So he ended up going to L.A. becoming a bounty hunter and he's done doing that. He doesn't want to do it. He wants a coffee shop. Enter Josh Groban or Charles. Gro- <laughs> it's never going to get old for me, dude. <laughs> Um, Charles Grodin, uh, enter this character, right? This is the guy that got caught embezzling this white collar criminal. And this is supposed to be an easy get. This is the term midnight run. This is where this comes in, right? Pantaleano like literally says, this is going to be a midnight run. This is a nothing. nothing you're not going to have any problems getting this guy. Uh, that's definitely not the case. Cause there's obviously more to the story. You know, we find out that he was the accountant of a mobster in Chicago and that he had all of these data disks that showed all the criminal activity and all the people he worked with. And, and there's, I mean, just criminals are all over these disks. And uh, the mob wants him killed. And uh, so he's trying to convince De Niro during this trip across the country that, you know, you should let me go. You know, it's not that it, it, basically the, the bad guy is really the mobster. And the entire way De Niro is like, shut the fuck up. That's the entire the entire relationship is this back and forth of like, trust me, just give me a second, let me do this. I'm gonna uh, and then and then De Niro trusts him and he tries to get away, and then he gets all pissed off that he trusted him and he puts him back and he's like, I'm never gonna fucking talk to you again. And then Groban's like, uh, well, Groden, you know, Groben, Groden, Groden, I like Groben. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there, it's it's this back and forth this entire movie while. Uh, De Niro's trying to get him back to get his money. He doesn't want to give him up to the FBI because he needs his money. He doesn't want the mob to get him because he needs his money. Mm-hmm. And now 
it's taking a little longer to get there because, you know, Groden's giving him all these problems. And uh, Pantoliano's like, you know what? Send some more bounty hunters that way. See if we can't just get somebody to get this guy. So At a different rate. Yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah, which is even better. But it's the recipe for just a classic kind of cross-country caper, however you want to spin it in terms of the relationship of the two people going across the country. Yeah, it's like cannonball run in that regard. Yeah. To, to a point. I mean, there's no Roger Moore. There's no. It's a cannonball you know. run. It's Tommy Boy. It's um. It's it's. I mean, think of all of the different cross country movies where you put two characters, you know, in the car that initially are the odd couple. They don't. Mm-hmm. They're completely opposites, and they don't get along. And by the end of the movie, you know, they've developed sure. some sort of fondness for each other. You know, and that's a good. That's a good way of putting it. It's like the odd couple. I, I didn't even think about that, but it's. You know, granted, the odd couple was a slightly different dynamic. Yeah, it it the odd couple created this dynamic. I, I would I would I would go on record to say something along those lines. Yeah, there's a lot that happens. Like th- this movie has got that main point, right? He's getting this guy to this point to get the money so that he can retire. But then there's all this other stuff that's mucked in. We get the idea that De Niro's character, when he was a cop, you know, was dealing with the mob who is the same mobster who's after this, this, this bail skipper. Right. Um, And then the FBI wants this too, because they got a case and they don't want the case getting screwed up. So they want to get this guy uh, so that they can, again, go after the mobsters and the people that they need to go, go after. And then you've got, uh, you've got other people like the bounty hunters themselves that are looking out for themselves. They want money. So they're going to come after them and, and, uh, and try to get this guy as well. And we get this, we, we kind of are alluded to the relationships of, of these, of, of bounty hunters with each other at the very beginning of the film, right? There's no honor among thieves. Well, not with bounty hunters either. One guy, you know, De Niro ends up getting this guy and then this other bounty hunter shows up out of nowhere and tries to snag him. It's like, you know, too late. You lost him. And then De Niro knocks him out and ends up stealing his car. You're just like, Oh, okay. This is the world of bounty hunters, right? I didn't see this much happening in dog, the bounty hunter, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's uh i don't remember there being a rival bounty hunting team that they kind of fought against was there i don't know i would have had to have watched it if, i thought you uh, had the whole the whole series on dvd no but here's uh, i know this for a fact and i'll tell you how i know this is true at um there there is or was um a dog the bounty hunter channel on pluto tv the streamer oh my god really and i know this because whenever i take my truck to have it serviced (laughs) that's all they play because apparently that's the kind of hot garbage that they need to realize that when you work at midas this is the kind of entertainment that you find entertaining their lives are much better by watching that the funny thing is it's it was it was not that last time i went there it was the bob it was bob ross painting channel oh okay so it's like that's what's uh, up but imagine that so so just okay here's a tangent Uh, imagine (laughs) that that those two things so diametrically opposed but so similar bob ross long big hair dog the bounty hunter long big kentucky waterfall yeah oh yeah kentucky waterfalls everybody else in that you know, in that troop, except for like one or two people have that very same Kentucky themed waterfall, <laughs> long flowing waterfall, Bob Ross. He's got a paintbrush dog, the bounty hunter metaphorically, his paintbrush is his AK and or his walkie talkie or his, 
Oakley razor wire sunglasses that have the Bluetooth built in. Those things are circa 2004. He's probably got like a lifetime supply coming from Oakley. They don't make them anymore, but just for him, they do. You hear Bob Ross as he's painting. He's like, okay, we're going to load one in the chamber. Mm-hmm. This one's called Auburn. Auburn Bob Sky. To, I want Bob Ross to just start reading some. I know this. I know this. And W.A. Well, I was going to say Biggie Smalls. <laughs> like, fuck the, the chamber. Pool. 32 in the clip. Motherfuckers <laughs> done trip. Yeah, peel before you find out how blue steel feels. Fuck <laughs> Putting all the holes in your sweater. There you go. There the you money go. getter. <laughs> all right um that's but yeah so this plot, plot is <laughs> this plot is a straightforward plot but it's got a lot of stuff happening and we were saying this right before we started recording you know it's rare that you find comedies that go over two hours but this is an action comedy so they've got to pack in a lot of stuff that's happening and i feel like it was just enough in terms of developing everything that was happening with the plot even though they threw in a lot of stuff that maybe didn't wasn't needed it, it was just enough to really kind of round out certain characters like for Mm -hmm. me he didn't need to stop uh de niro's character didn't need to stop at the house where his ex-wife was with the kid but in doing so we really kind of got more of a feeling of of you know what it is he's feeling and being pushed from chicago um the fact that you know she left him for someone else that was on the force that supposedly was crooked you know all of these things his relationship with his daughter he hadn't seen in so many years it was kind of it, it was enough for you to start really feeling for this guy it wasn't just some you know dog the bounty hunter <laughs> well it, <laughs> but he's got a full family yeah uh, but it it pulled on that thread that charles groden that uh the duke was going for you know hey i think it'll be good for you to see your family you haven't yeah. seen them or talked to them in nine years and you know that that really helps further down when they're on the train talking about the watch yeah and uh you know which the, comes the whole- in at the end too that that's mm-hmm. even more special at the end so yeah i feel like a lot of what what this uh movie did in terms of pacing and putting its way through the plot and taking us through all these story points mm-hmm. um for me nailed it i just thought it was it was just really good there was a couple holes obviously here and there you know in these terms of types of movies it's like is after the dude steals FBI badges, not only just steals it, like he messes with it too. Like he, he alters it, right? He's stealing vehicles, crashing vehicles, shooting in public places, all these different things. Is the FBI really just going to be like, you know what? We're going to cut a deal with you and let you go. No, they're going to get theirs and still come at you because you broke the law. Yeah. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure that, yeah, the, the, the no different than with, with uh, the Duke, the crime still has to be atoned for. Yes. Regardless of the justification of it. Exactly. For it. Um, it was fun and it was, it was part of the excitement and part of the kind of even danger, but it also kind of adds to the relationship between the two and the trust that they needed to build with each other. But the whole scenes with like falling in the river and the river rapids, I don't think was needed either because again, we could have done without that. It was a little far fetched to think, that in these crazy raging river rapids de niro is literally using his upper body strength to hold on to the slickest of slick boulders <laughs> while water's pounding them <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. i mean and then on top of it when that stick's coming out to to pull him in 
to, to have the strength to reach out with one arm and still hold on with the rapids tearing at you. So like things like that, you have to suspend belief for, but you know, it, it adds to these, these little pieces that you need. You need that moment when he's like, do you promise to let me go? Right. I'll save your life. If you promise to let me go, he's like, all right, fine. I promise. Like, who's not going to promise? What's he going to say? No, I'd rather die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but some of that stuff is, I mean, yeah, maybe that could have been cut down a little bit, Yeah, but I think that moment at the end when he, you know, when he does reach up and grab it and he says, yeah, I promise to let you go. Some of that is, is critical to the story. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it is called, it is referred to later on. Um, but having all that in there, you know, most of the time less is more, but with this one, the story was dense. So you kind of almost to a point did need it to, to help give the characters more depth. Yeah. Did you feel like they, well, actually we'll get into this more in in characters and and, and the actors and stuff. Um, Anything else in terms of plot you wanted to address? So the, uh, the use of a thousand dollar bills was, ah, that was uh, I wasn't expecting that toward the end. I um, yeah, when I saw it, I like I said before, I was like, someone's getting fired because whoever decided to bring the monopoly money to set, that's so fake looking. Uh, no, thousand dollar bills were a thing. I, I and I didn't realize that they were a thing. I knew that there was a ten thousand dollar note, which was really? used for government funds way back in the day, transfers specifically, okay. like before you know territory email. transfers yeah before the fed line federal reserve bank it was uh yeah well, before there was a i work in banking so i know that there are these vpn devices that create that you can do wire transfers for locally um and before that existed like well like when this movie was around uh just out you had to do um you know you had to move money around physical bills or or bullion or whatever it was gold bullion um, and in older times you had to use big freaking bills because you couldn't get your hands on, you couldn't fit, you know, in a, in a, yeah. is it, uh, 10, in a subtle suitcase, you couldn't fit. I mean, you just put it in an envelope, like, and you just slide a $10,000 bill across the table. Here's our transfer. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, here's, here's a fun note that I don't know if you know this, Chris, um, with money on TV. And in movies, you cannot use real legal tender. Right. Right. So I did know yeah. that. Yeah. So yes, they look like monopoly money, probably on purpose. Right. But the fact that it said thousand dollar, I was like, what the mm-hmm. shit? And then I remember I started thinking to myself, like when I was a kid, for some reason, I remember there being like the idea of being thousand dollar bills. Was it a real thing? Did we make it up? So I looked it up on good old Google and Google told me, yes, thousand dollar bills were a thing. Uh, they were a thing, as a matter of fact, up until 1969. That's when they stopped producing them. When they actually removed them completely from circulation, I couldn't tell you. But I mean, like we were saying this, you know, 1969 is when it ends. This is 1988. You're talking 19 years. Um, you know, obviously, it's probably still out in circulation. Stuff's probably still out there, you know, passing around. So the fact that this guy had money that he had stored away just in case. Right. So this is 88. Maybe he had that morning stored away for 20 years. And that's, so that's why he's got thousand dollar bills. But yeah, the fact that that popped up, man, I was like, what the, f-? and then $300,000, like, okay, you got to call that a gift. <laughs> wow. I'll take that gift any day, dude. Well, and you know, absolutely. But you think about the $20 bill, 
you remember the big redesign to uh, you know from the standard oh, yeah. small Jackson to the big Jackson yeah. was 1996. So that's what is that 25 years ago? Yeah. So and we still have the little ones sitting around. Yeah. If I would go get my wallet, I would I would show I could show you the 1995 um, or slightly older original. You know, yeah. when, when everything looked with a smaller president head on it. I, I have one of those in my wallet. Nice. Because cash is weird. Now. They still have those little Sacagawea gold dollars still running around too. And when did those come out? Uh, was that in 2000s? Or um, the end of the 90s? I feel like it was like early 2000s. Or late 90s. One of the two. They came out 2000, looks like. Welcome to Currency Podcast. Yeah. Uh, 2000. You, and then they modified it in 2009. Uh, okay. So didn't they but, stop doing it though? Then weren't they just like, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. No one's using these. Uh, no, they still mint them. Okay. Interesting. Uh, as of 2021, that's this year, 2021 dollar coins are not widely encountered in U S commerce, except in vending machines. Oops. I clicked the link, uh, or, uh, for rides on mass transit, some pay in display machines, some laundromats, old fashioned slot machines. Uh, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on from the plot, dude. Let's talk about the cast, the actors, and the acting. This is a this is a pretty decent cast, man. For even for 1988, it's a pretty decent cast. Um, Robert De Niro as the lead in this film. You know, one of the things I was looking at when I read this was that he had just come off the movie The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. So he was looking to do something a little different. So he wanted to jump into comedy. But so when I was reading the Wikipedia on this, I did not expect to read the next sentence mm-hmm. that he was interested in doing Penny Marshall's big and that she was all for it, dude. Could you imagine De Niro dancing on a giant piano in FAO Schwartz? No, not <laughs> at all. City, dude. But yeah, they wanted him or he wanted to play that that character. The uh, the you know, the studio said, yeah, nah, probably not. They gave it to Tom Hanks. Um, So he ends up doing this film. Right. And. uh, You know, I always thought to myself, I'm a huge fan of Daniel's work. I watch this stuff. His obviously his drama, his crime stuff. He's up. He's on point as a gangster. He's just amazing. Right. But when you see him doing comedy, there's something about it because. His face still says, I'm going to shoot you mm-hmm. if you look at oh, me wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. the words coming out of his mouth is like the, the funniest thing. I remember when I first saw him in, in Meet the Parents and, and, and he's <laughs> playing this char- like this character of like super dead serious. But the delivery, the lines were just so comedic, man. Analyze this when he's playing the, the gangster who just breaks down in tears uncontrollably. You know what I mean? Like just a comedic genius behind that. Um, oh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of when he does this, when he does this, these kinds of characters that aren't super serious. Well, and, and it's, it's totally against type. I mean, he just looks like a grizzled, you know, he just looks like a grizzled, you know, wise guy. And this one, he's definitely, he's the opposite. He's a cop, which he has done before. Yeah. You know, I mean, and he looks like a, a grizzled cop here, right? And even if you think about it, a lot of the stuff he says in response to to Groden um, is not 
comedic. Like it's not meant to be funny. Mm-hmm. It's just the situation and the way he delivers the lines, the exasperation sometimes, right? The annoyance of the way he says things. It comes across as funny as hell. You're mm-hmm. watching somebody lose their shit. And sometimes that's funny to watch. Oh yeah, absolutely. The way, <laughs> the way they go about doing it or, yeah. you know, if it's just like a light, calm mood and then all of a sudden someone's freaking out, flipping over tables, <laughs> you know, it, uh, I think specifically to like when they're hopping the train and his bag, I'm expecting, unex- I, I'm thinking it, this was not intended, but he just rolled with it. The bottom of the bag just blew out <laughs> and he just threw it down. He's like, Arr! like you saw his face for, for a half second was like, I'm so angry. And then, you know, he jumped on the train and yeah, well, I love, to- dude, I love when they do, uh, when, when things, like they do things that, you know, maybe didn't go the way they planned, but they play with it anyway. Like there's the scene where, uh, the FBI agent throws his sunglasses in the air as they're taken off mm-hmm. at the beginning Towards and he's trying beginning. to juggle and catch it and he ends up dropping it anyway. And he still plays into it. You know, I had mm-hmm. thanks a lot kind of a thing, you know? Uh, yeah, that stuff's great. But man, De Niro for me, you know, I'm sure there's stuff out there that he did, you know, that is, is like, uh, kind of, you know, cringeworthy but for me De Niro has always been one of these top actors one of these like when I know I'm going to go into a movie with him in it at least when he's on screen it's going to be awesome it's going to be great because the way he just kind of you know becomes a character in the role after a while I'm not seeing De Niro right after a while I'm seeing this guy Jack Walsh this guy who kind of you know had a, a a bad luck of events in in his midlife and ends up he's he's in this like next chapter of his life now right mm-hmm. trying to pull himself out it's like any story you've heard of of the divorcee who now he's got to move into an apartment and it's not the house anymore and it's trying to just build himself back up again from the and 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 the the struggle that you saw there or even with even on the other side even with women right like the struggle of of being maybe a single mom or whatever and now having to start all over again Um, everybody understands struggle and watching him play this character there were all these little moments here and there of desperation, this kind of desperation of, I don't want this bullshit life anymore. I'm done. I got to stop this. Mm-hmm. And, and he killed it, dude. He killed it. Yeah. I thought he, I thought it was, I mean, with most De Niro movies, the movie might be bad, but yeah. he might have done a much better job uh, than everyone else. But yeah, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think there's much that you could say that's bad about De Niro's performance here. No, I, no, was, I loved it. It was perfect for, I think, you know, this whole, the, yeah, this, this script. And let me ask, let me, let me say this, dude. Never, ever in my life, before seeing this film, if you had come to me and said, do you think this duo would be great on screen? Great chemistry. Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. I would have been like, the dude from Beethoven? Hmm. He'd have been like, yeah, I'd be like, I mean, I guess De Niro would make it work. But holy crap, dude, the chemistry these two had, just mm-hmm. the kind of, oh, it was so good. The thing about Groden's character, though, I feel like there wasn't enough kind of, he felt more hollow than, than De Niro. We had a lot of development, what's going on, his background, everything. With Groden's character, we knew what he got himself into kind of a thing. But so much of the film felt very, and I don't know if this is, this came across because of, just the way he decided to play this character. But did it feel like this character was maybe could be on the spectrum? Very matter of fact about things, always asking inappropriate questions. Like this is a guy that just literally is bringing you in and he's just like, 
you know, why are you eating that? You know, that's not good for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that kind of well, has to be, you know, makes sense. I think part of it is that he's an accountant. Okay. So the mindset of an accountant, not okay. being one, uh, numbers are very black and white. Two plus two cannot equal anything but four, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very matter of fact, very, and maybe that's why people are accountants because it's very matter of fact. It's like, well, this has to be this way because A, it's always been this way and that's how numbers work. So potentially that's why he was just the way he, you know, his, his outlook on things. This has to be this way because that's the way it is. You know, you can't dispute on an abacus, on a calculator, um, you know, on, on anything that you do numbers and, you know, in Excel, you know, you can't, you can't dispute any of that because that's the way it is. So right. he, he also strikes me as one of those guys that's just like an annoying friend. He's just going to keep asking you the same thing until he gets to the heart of it. But, um, I, but I like that he was constantly like, do you promise you'll let me go? Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that like, and it, even though the first time he asked, he didn't get his way. He it kept coming back to this kind of like, do you promise? Would you promise to like, there was this way he did things, the way he kind of stared and looked the facial features he did. There was, I kept saying to Aaron, cause she was watching with me. I'm just like, I was like, does he seem like he's coming across with some sort of like Asperger's or, or whatever, because he seems very kind of like almost, almost rain man. Almost, mm-hmm. but not over the top rain, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not sitting there crunching numbers for, you know, to the 10th decimal point. No. Right. But it seems like he's standing there just trying to, to figure out how he should be acting in certain situations sometimes and, and certain things that he's saying, dude, it, it was, I don't know. It was fun. I mean, it's a great performance though, because it's that played off of, you know, the very animated way that De Niro can, can speak and say things and kind of get his thoughts across that it goes, it plays off each other so, so well. Oh, agreed. I mean, there's, you, you can't really, you can't dispute that. Uh, I, I think that for the most part, it's, I don't know if this was a stretch for Groden or if he was just trying to keep it in because De Niro was, is so good at being angry and the, the calm of, of <laughs> Groden is funny when you're when you're acting against that or when you're watching a movie with these two with like you know de niro's way up here and mm-hmm. groden's way down here and pulling it back a lot you know there there's that big gap in between um you know de niro and and you know when we get to him joey pants those two are just they're both up they're redlining both of them <laughs> and yeah they are and you know those like you could see that that's like oh that's creating tension but when you have a guy up top and you have a guy down here, you're like, well, I don't know how to feel. It's yeah. just uncomfortable. It, it, it's an uncomfortableness at times to the viewer. And you just have to nervously laugh just to kind of ease the tension a little bit. So I think that might be part of it. But like, I didn't really catch all. I mean, there were some silly, clever uh, chuckle moments, like the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. But really, like, I, I can't remember, like when they're in the diner, and they have 53 or when they order 53 cent coffee and tea, like that's really where it started to get really like laugh out loud, uh, you know, really funny where it was like, all right, says, how much is a cup of coffee? 53 cents. How much is a cup of tea? 53 cents. Then he looks at the change and he's like thinking. Mm-hmm. And then he says what he's going to have. It's the same, same amount. It didn't matter. 
Yeah. Well, but he's uh, looking and, at the change to be like, he's okay, being, I'll have the one. And he's being funny without being, <laughs> you know, just by doing his his thing. Yeah. Like, all right, well, yeah. coffee, sugar will last. Sugar and caffeine will last this long. You could tea. see he was analyzing in his head, like, mm-hmm. what's the best option? Well, and and I think that shows us, well, it is funny, A, but it also shows us that him being a an accountant discovers something probably before the movie started chose to weigh the options of if i embezzle can i hide it how can i hide it yeah and you know collect all of his information the whole floppy disk thing put it committed to digital yeah you know he's very thoughtful in what he does and sometimes that does come off as silly or and he did say he had a plan right he had Mm -hmm. a plan ahead of time already what he was going to do um, so that was already all set in place. And even to the point when he's first caught, he has a plan. He's quick to say, I can't fly. Like, not, not that I don't want to. I'm, I just can't. I have a mm-hmm. phobia. And he's all acting out and stuff. And then later, he's jumping in a, like, 1941 mm-hmm. airplane from Kitty like Hawk. twin bomber, taking yeah. Off. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, I don't know, man. If you ask me, I thought, you know, Josh Groban, also Charles Grodin, did a mm-hmm. great job in this film. Do you need to write it on a note card? <laughs> oh, no way, dude. I'm, I'm telling you. Uh, I have it committed to memory. Josh Groban, Josh mm-hmm. Groban, Josh Groban. Uh, next, we had, oh, let's talk about who you were just saying. Jo- Joey Pants. Joe Pantoliano, of, for me, will always be of Goonies fame, though he's been in so many other good films uh, and so many other good characters. Eddie Muscone. Um, Pantoliano has a great way of playing these kinds of characters, these slime ball characters that you still kind of like. You can't help but like them, though you hate them. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he's he's always the, the loud yelling whatever also, like Bad Boys, <laughs> the police captain, Bad yep. Boys 2, yep. which check it in the archives. Um, you know, in the Matrix, uh, his hair in this movie, by the way, was frightening. <laughs> like which adds to the, the amount of hair on his face and i mean he, yeah he remind and, and the balding with like the the, the pseudo kentucky waterfall yeah yeah um i mean the utah a, waterfall i mean it's it's something man it, <laughs> i don't know what i don't know what it is but he reminds me of um eddie arcadian a little bit with the balding and the yeah. hair just getting you know it, again goes back to that bald afro <laughs> it, it just Horse makes me shoe afro it's male pattern baldness yeah plus afro equals and oh and a comb over yeah but he plays these guys so well right these mm-hmm. loud fast talking like uh like what you you think i'm gonna cheat you oh you're hurting my feelings like you're literally hurting my feelings you think i'm gonna cheat you that's the kind of guy he is and that's what he plays in this character you don't need does. much character development because like when he does he he's literally the guy that you hit action and immediately he does that and you're like okay he exists we don't have to do anything at all or say anything to make you think that this is who this guy is and i think you hire him for that as well oh yeah you see him walk in the room for that part and you're like all right he's got it yeah it'd be funny to have him be like a therapist or something <laughs> tell me super chill. tell me how you feel tell me how you <laughs> Did you ever sorry, see him in was... sopranos no i haven't oh, watched dude, that what yet. a what a great performance from him yeah pantaliano is always great too for me he's like that now he's not the same caliber but he's always like uh in my mind like de niro that when i watch him i know he's always going to deliver you know he's mm-hmm. always he always does such a great job always. how about i don't know how to say this is it yafit yafit kodo yafit kodo um so i was watching that i'm like why do i know him dude was he on uh, alien 
yes, he was an alien, uh, but I was thinking about the TV show. So he was on Homicide Life on the Streets, but I had thought he was in something else. Um, I can't remember. NYPD Blue or something. But, uh, but yeah, he's an alien. He's, in, he's been in a lot of other movies. Um, James Bond, dude. He was a main villain in James Bond. Dr. Mm-hmm. Kananga. Two episodes, two seasons, uh, two movies. Two movies. He's also in The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. If you take a look at him, you will um, recognize him. Unfortunately, you will not see him working anymore. He passed away this year as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, he passed away March 15th this year. And Charles Grodin just passed away two two weeks ago, a week ago, something like that. Yeah, within the last month. Crazy. Uh, but Kodo, dude, this performance, I liked this guy. I liked, I liked the way he played this this character because there was this kind of it's it's the it's the mold of the fbi agent that's a no-nonsense fbi agent right but somewhere along the line like from the very beginning and then throughout the movie there came this part of him that just became kind of like i don't know like they they started giving him some comedic lines to deliver as well and it was funny right there's one that keeps talking about having a heart attack when they're sitting at the airport at the end mm-hmm. he's like i swear to god i have a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> i was just dying laughing i'm like dude what the heck it's been amazing um i thought he did a great job uh you know in this in, in this in this role well one i I, th- I think they framed him very well in this movie too oh I mean, yeah he was surrounded by a bunch of not quite but close to bumbling, you know, detectives underneath yes. them or bumbling agents. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when they uh, was it, I think it was in the, the first police station that they uh, that Marvin was was detained in when he walks, when the door opens and like it's just smoke and he's backlit and he's like, oh, big boss is here. Uh, but I think they did a really good job with him. Yeah. Um. John Ashton as the other bounty hunter, Marvin Dorfler. Mm-hmm. Um, he felt like, so the kind of character that you see in a lot of these eighties kind of action movies, he's not really a sidekick, but he was kind of a guy that came in and became part of the, the supporting cast of the film. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't really a sidekick and he wasn't really a bad guy either. Cause there's that time when they're kind of working together for a minute when they're being shot at and stuff. But like, he just came across as, as that character that, I mean, I don't know. It, it just felt like, Oh, you need to have this character in, in these kinds of movies from the eighties, these action movies. And he fit that role immediately as, a, as kind of like comp- competition. He, he was almost like an incompetent foil. Yes. A yes. lesser than, Yes, but yes. still there and an inconvenience more than anything else. Yes, he was going to be a thorn in the side and uh, mm-hmm. all the way up to the end, he's a thorn in the side. What a pain in the ass, right? Mm. You're like, what are you doing, dude? And he's he's there for 25,000. Let's see. Yeah, no, actually, he was smart because he started trying to raise that money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, dude, I have we have to talk about Dennis Farina, man. Dennis mm-hmm. Farina in this film. We were saying it's too bad it wasn't more Dennis Farina. It was yeah. less Dennis Farina than Dennis Farina has ever been. He, yeah, less attitude, <laughs> less less Dennis Farina commanding the screen, but also less Dennis Farina screen time. Yeah, he like, either when you see this dude, he's either playing a mobster or a cop. Yeah. It's one of the two. It's rare. I've never seen this guy play like, I don't know, an architect. 
Okay, you boring. I mean? Yeah, Philip oh. Lord, or what is it? Frank Lloyd Wright. The story of Frank Lloyd Wright as, <laughs> as foretold Farina. by Dennis Farina. Yeah. <laughs> you tell that construction worker to get the fuck in here. Yeah. I need to see this up right now or else I'm going to get on the horn and you don't want me to get on the horn. I'm Dude. Dennis Farina. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright, I mean. One of my favorite performances is him in Snatch. When I saw him in Snatch, I was like, dude, I love this guy. And then I started noticing in everything. And that's mm -hmm. the thing. He, you know, he's one of these guys, when you see him, you're like, oh, that guy. Because he's in everything. And he does a great job every single time. You know, he chews up the screen. This time, he's a little bit more laid back. But he still delivers those lines. Those, like, the one time he's like, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to put a pencil through your heart. And the next time he's like, you don't do this, I'm going to, you know, it's this nonsense constant like i'm gonna threaten you with bodily harm and death um but it's it's farina man he he knows how to kind of he knows how to become these characters that are wise that's why they call them wise guys right wise cracking guys these these kind of they know how to use colorful language to get their point across and he knows mm -hmm. how to do it expertly this was his fifth movie get out of here this was his mm -hmm. fifth movie yep wow really it's also yeah. sad because he passed away uh, uh 19 eight years ago yeah yeah wow that was only his fifth movie look at that mm -hmm. you're not kidding but then boy then he keeps going he's he's all over the place he's in another stakeout romeo's bleeding uh get shorty get shorty i remember that one that performance too great performance oh he wasn't saving private ryan yeah, I thought that was interesting. Wow, interesting. Well, yeah, dude, Dennis Farina. What do you think? I mean, not enough. I think that's and that's a and that's a crime. Yeah, I'll tell you. I would have sat through some more of this. This movie's two hours seven minutes. I would have. I would have been happy to have more of it if it was Farina. Oh yeah, I mean, I'd maybe a little bit, more movie. Show a little bit of uh, Farina with the, um, you know, the heroin plan, planning of the heroin and. Um, you know, that whole series of events. Yeah. There are a few other actresses and actors that are supporting here. The only one that was note uh, that I noticed though, was a, uh, was a small part at the, towards the end when, uh, when, when De Niro loses, loses the Duke mm -hmm. and he's at the diner and the guy behind the counter is Tracy Walter. Mm -hmm. If you ever look at this guy, you will know him. You're like, Oh, again, he's like Dennis Farina. You see his face. You're like, Oh, I know him. He's in everything. Yeah. Um, I've the, when so for me when I see this guy the first thing that will always come to mind is 1989 Batman. Mm -hmm. He is the thug on the roof when Batman grabs him and and pulls. Oh, no, no, he's not the one on the roof. He's um he's one of uh Jack Nicholson's thugs, one of his henchmen that run around with him throughout the movie. Um, but yeah, I'll always think of Batman. But other than that, I mean, he's been in everything. Name it. He's probably been in it. He was in Silence of the Lambs. There you go. Young Guns uh, too, How High. I mean, those all City are in Slickers. the same. Yeah, those are all in the same. <laughs> Philadelphia. Dude, you know, he was in Manchurian Candidate. Was he? The one we watched or the earlier yeah. version? No, the one we watched. As oh, a I don't night, remember that. Yeah, Night Clerk. And that's the thing. You'll see mm -hmm. him, in, and that's and his, his Wikipedia boasts that he's been in over 100 films and television series. And uh, again, when you look at him, you're like, oh, it's that guy. And his performance as a diner uh, waiter, spot on. Mm -hmm. He killed it pouring that coffee. Oh, you know what else he was in, Chris? What's that? 
The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Oh, beautiful. Look at that tie. <laughs> this is how we do our shows. We make sure to tie them this way. It's like the six, six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. There's been a lot of, I've noticed a lot of people in this movie that also have credits either in Young Guns 2, Little Big mm-hmm. League. Yep. Um, um, a couple other movies. Uh, where, did, where did it go? Um, so there was, I think there was another person that was in Manchurian Candidate, but it was such a small part that it didn't make any bit of sense hmm. uh, to talk about. But yeah, there's there's a lot of overlap for a lot of these different actors. Some of these supporting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, one you didn't mention is Philip Baker Hall. He played the lawyer, Sydney. Yes. Oh, which is yes, such a mob yes. lawyer name. He's he's been in a lot as well. Um, oh, yeah. For me, immediately, I know him as Seinfeld as the the librarian. He's the librarian investigator that, that's going around <laughs> investigating people's late books. Bookman. Love, that's his name, Bookman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, he's in nearly everything. He's probably had overlapping, you know, uh, role names just because he's been in so many different things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, TV and movies, dude. Like he's been mm-hmm. on every single TV show from the 80s, 70s and 80s you could probably think of. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. MASH, uh, The Waltons. TJ Hooker. Miami Quincy, Vice. Cagney and Lacey. Oh, he plays a judge on Miami Vice. He plays a judge on Law and Order. Benson. Benson. Dude. <laughs> Family Ties, Falcon Crest, Matlock, Murder, She Wrote. Look at this, dude. Like he's been in everything. Cheers. Em- Empty Nest, you know, Chicago uh, Hope. Yeah. Oh, he was on there for a while, wasn't it? No. Third Rock from the Sun. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, dude. Hold this, on. There's a show called Michael Hayes. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what you think it is. If you know, you know. All right. Anything else you want to say about the acting? For me, I felt like the cast was a very strong cast and they did a pretty mm-hmm. good job at this one. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet, let's get into the music. It's a score yeah. by Danny Elfman. Uh-huh. Danny Elfman of Oingo Boingo fame, of every other movie from the 80s and 90s score fame. Uh, Danny Elfman of Tim Burton fame. Works with mm-hmm. Tim Burton a lot. I think a they, lot. I think he only uses Danny Elfman. Danny it feels Elfman. like he does. It feels like he does, man. I again for me, this is funny. It always comes back to Batman. 1989's Tim Burton's Batman was the first time Danny Elfman ever comes onto my radar. And I used to have the score. I absolutely loved the score of that film. And I just remember thinking of that name, Danny Elfman, just thinking how cool the last name sounded. Elfman, just because it had elf in it, right? Mm. <laughs> Being a kid, things like that is what you latch on to. And I didn't know until, I got to be honest with you, I did not know this until two years ago or last year. There was a series on Netflix about how they make movies. Certain movies got made. Mm-hmm. And one of them was A Nightmare Before Christmas. Hmm. And they talked about how Danny Elfman was the composer. Danny Elfman of Oingo Boingo fame. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> that dude mm-hmm. is also the composer? And like literally just a couple years ago, I realized that. Um, but man, Everything he's ever done, I always feel like it always fits and it works well. He's to me, he's one of these composers you go to if you're trying to match, you know, the sound. You want your score to really match what you're watching on screen because it worked for this film. Well, it's you know, you it's funny you say Danny Elfman of Oingo Boingo. 
Talk about Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo. Why? Because he did the soundtrack to Thor Ragnarok. Oh, <laughs> and I mean, I thought I'm you. Just, were, I was like, wait, he's on this too? Like, no, 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 no. I'm just saying that okay, it, it's yeah, such yeah, a strange yeah. thing. Like, that's weird. Because, or, or you think like Trent Reznor? He's done stuff mm -hmm. with what David Finch, I believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the Social Network, you know, he was in the. He did. I mean, he won a Grammy for that movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, but there's. It's it's almost like they get to be more. Uh, yeah. I guess the, it, it calls for something, success. but it's yeah, it's it's more yeah more successful, and they get to they get an outlet for how creative they, these these guys are. Devo, how, here we go on Devo versus Oingo Boingo was more um, experimental for the time than yeah. Oingo Boingo was. They were just leaning into the time yeah, more yeah. so. Um, dude, so for me, I feel like the score on this film fit. I remember lit watching a lot of it. So they have this one thing that they come back to a lot. And, and they do it a lot. It's the same kind of theme here and there throughout the film. But it it's sounds, not repetitive like they live. It's not this kind of, that's all you hear. But it's basically chunks from the same, from the same instrumental. Yes. Uh, yes. Did that song remind you of any popular 1970s, late 70s song by chance? Maybe. So there was a lot of familiarity. And I felt, I felt like it was because it was familiar in that it, it fit what this movie was so this movie is again an action comedy and so it felt like an 80s action soundtrack mm -hmm. it had a very 80s sound to it it had a blues rock sound to it it had a you know some kind of high octane at times like when when it came time for that car chase scene with the cops and all you know man i mean it was like kick that music in the high drive and here we go and it all fits and it works well so for me it's it sounded familiar only because it felt like i've heard this before in these kinds of movies mm -hmm. what did it sound like to you the, uh, well uh, let me correct my my uh chronological time frame uh, i'm going to say approximately 1967 okay um instead of the 70s 80s uh it sounded to me a lot like the song soul man by sam and dave okay oh i could get yes so there you go right that soul bluesy mm -hmm. rock that and then add the 80s flavor to it and this is what this whole soundtrack uh, score is um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Mm -hmm. I said, I said it to Aaron as we were doing it. I'm like, man, this score is like, this works. This works for everything we're seeing on screen right now. It was very familiar also. Yes. So you could kind of get behind it. It was like, oh yeah, I'm a soul man. Everyone likes this song. Exactly. And as a composer, you, you know, you know that there are certain times where if you, if you play on a certain, you know, melody or riff that's already familiar and you make it enough of your own, but there's still those root kind of things in there. It, 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 it triggers the brain to say, I like this. Yeah. You vanilla. Know? If we didn't, if we learned nothing from vanilla ice, there's just that little bitty ching in there. Take that, out that one, you know, done. no, you add it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. You add it. You remember theirs goes, din, 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 din. Ours goes, din, 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 din. Din, din, din. <laughs> and I love on camera. He's like accentuating it with yeah, din, and he's the din, the din. arm movements. <laughs> oh man! Um, anything else you want to say about the soundtrack? I, I dug it. I liked it. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was it was good. Sweet, sweet special effects. All practical. I don't think there was anything visual. I mean, uh, computer here was all like this. Just floppy disks guns you know guns shooting bullet holes that kind of thing you see the bullet holes spray the cars that mm -hmm. kind of thing. explosions of the car in the explosion very, of the helicopter that was cool that was a big deal and it looked pretty sweet that was a miniature i'm pretty sure 
I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, that was, a you know, all re- rewind back to the plot hole. That part was crazy, too, because I'm like, dude, if you're trying not to lose your hundred thousand dollars, you're not going to shoot a helicopter right over the guy. The thing might land on him in the river. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, back to the FX. It looked awesome. The explosion was great. You know, uh-huh. I thought it looked awesome. Yeah, I, I think they. I mean, the the cars, you know, the 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 truck outrunning the, you know, through the trenches of the Arizona desert, you know, out not just outrunning, but oh, like yeah. out maneuvering because it had a higher clearance than all those cop cars. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, everything in this part made sense. Was looked good and done. No, I was done just well. thinking. Hmm. Did we see any blood packs? Was there blood in this movie? I don't think anyone was shot. Right. Think about how much guns went off in this film. So like, did we see any bullet casings? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't notice that. But I, I, you could see the bullet holes when they pepper certain like things, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, it's exploding. And But not once did I see somebody that was actually shot. We saw people get exploded in a helicopter. But no mm-hmm. one was actually shot, and there was zero blood in this film. And, and part of that, too, I think makes sense to not have them get injured you know, when they're going from one the country to the other, uh, mainly because they haven't changed clothes. So right. have them wander the in, idiot. you know, have them wander through the Arizona desert. They finally took off their jackets because spoiler alert, it's hot there. So that's yeah. the, you know, but every, but they're wearing the same clothes, smelling the same smells, but sometimes dial it up a little bit. Yeah. And, I just love uh, how everybody was taken out with a punch in this movie. Everyone was knocked out. No one was shot. Everyone was knocked out in this film. There was assault with a deadly weapon, though. When he hits him with the gun? Yeah. Max smacks him in the head. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, yeah. Oh, and with a car, too. He hits him with the car. Um, the uh, car whatever. door. Yeah. I'll tell you, if you don't, it's not special effects, really. It's more stunts, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the plane stunt, those guys when he had to pull him out of the plane as the plane's moving, drop him into, mm-hmm. onto the ground, like that back tire could have rolled over. It was very close if you watch that stunt play out. But man, um, overall, you know, not too much to look at in terms of special effects. There's, that's, it's just basic. That's a Mission Impossible inspired stunt right there. Right? Oh, God. Inspired right. the Mission Impossible, what, five, six? One of them. Yeah. And I, and I believe either... It's either the 12th or 13th installment, the Fast and the Furious. I'm not sure. The one where mm. they're in space that goes underwater into a submarine and then back out into oh, the, you that, know, that new ocean gun. in space that they discovered. Yeah, that thing. That um, has the helipad on it. <laughs> All right, dude, let's get into our last thoughts and, and our, our rating. We're going to do this out of five $1,000 bills. Uh, I'll let you go first. I did last one first. Sure. So this movie is, uh, as we said, it's new to both of us. Um, but the the so De Niro is not Yafit Koto is not Dennis Farina, uh, Joe Pantaleonis. Uh, I think we I think Robert Miranda was in a movie we we watched as well, and Philip Baker Hall. Uh, all of these characters or all these actors are not new to us as movie viewers um, who have seen movies in the past. Charles Grodin, however, was new to me. Uh, I had heard of him. I think he had a show on CNBC at one point. How did you not watch Beethoven, dude? Um, I might have when I was a kid. That okay. was the one with the big ass dog, right? Yeah, yeah, the same okay. Bernard. So I had seen that, but I hadn't seen it with a an adult filter on it. Like, gotcha. Why is this guy so put upon? Why is this? I do remember the TV spot that they ran incessantly, which was the dog 
takes a bath in the living room. I think it was. It's like Those are some stupid kids, by the way. And then it just shakes himself, <laughs> and you know he's getting licked by the dog, and he thinks it's his wife. More, more, and more as you're an adult, you feel for the parents in these films, and not the kids. Oh my goodness, I feel <laughs> I feel like these kids are just being parented poorly. <laughs> so um, your first time seeing Josh Groban. <laughs> yes, yes, first and probably maybe last. No, uh, first time seeing. Uh, with with an adult filter, uh, Charles Grodin, and you know, I was I was very impressed. I was I was I could see this guy's logic, his line of thinking, um, his reasons for asking certain questions, and and just kind of pushing somebody subtly, periodically, and and just some of the banter between him and De Niro were they felt genuine, like they weren't acting, but that they were actually just being silly. Maybe mm-hmm. it was like a b-roll and they used it because it was funny um but you know it was it was you know a hardened person and someone who's just lives their daily life and the two different outlooks and the two different attitudes towards going about every day and and how they kind of blended a little bit more de niro softening uh because he got what he wanted Mm mm-hmm he got what he wanted. He got paid. He got him to, you know, but he didn't compromise anything either along the way. Um, you know, and he prided himself on being the best at what he does. So uh, I can see why De Niro was so grouchy because apparently being a bail bondsman and a bounty hunter sucks. Um, but the story I think was very solid as well. I, th- I don't think that there were many uh, leaps of logic. A, a lot of stuff was explained on screen. The way everything tied together toward the end about um, uh, what's his name, Dennis Farina, about Jimmy Serrano, mm-hmm. and you know the way he impacted both of their lives and the conversation on the train car really drew a lot of like the logic of Charles of uh, of the Duke Charles Grodin to uh, it really hit home for for De Niro and. And it was kind of like that moment of, okay, now what's going to happen? Because it, it that that kind of made Jack a wild card at that point. Like, what is going to happen? Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Marvin being Marvin and then the goons and everybody else and the FBI is on their tail. I find it funny that, though, that De Niro can outrun the FBI at every turn. <laughs> he, can, he can unknowingly outsmart them. And maybe that was, that yeah. was, um, you know, the, the, that was Groden's character being one step ahead over like, Oh, let's just jump out, you know, forcing De Niro's hand to do something. Yeah. And playing the, both of their advantages intentionally and or unintentionally. Uh, I'm not sure, but overall, I mean, you know, we, there were no special effects, no CG, thankfully, cause it's 1988. Yeah. We saw what 1989 <laughs> Robocop turned out. Uh, the, <clears throat> The, the the cast was great the story was great soundtrack was really well done it was very familiar um and, and i think that a lot of these tropes in this movie are replicated through different movies uh in the future maybe they stole some borrowed as they call it in hollywood mm-hmm. uh, elsewhere but they did it i think better if they if they did borrow it i would imagine that they did it a little bit better uh so you know for me um, and it's a very good standalone self-contained story. I don't need to see what happened after. I would like to have seen um, what happened to Jack 
and his interactions with Jimmy, but we get that told through, through uh, data dumps. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes the story better, not seeing it, but just hearing the little bits and pieces trickled out periodically. Um, so, uh, it, and, and you did mention it is a little longer than two hours, two hours, five, uh, two hours, six, which is a little longer for a comedy. But for this movie, when I, when I watched it, I felt like, was it like 2003 to 2008 when all of those R-rated comedies were coming out, like mm-hmm. 40-Year-Old Virgin, yeah. Wedding Crashers, you know, all those movies um, that really made R-rated comedies. like, were, and, and there was a boom right after all that, you know, the Apatow stuff and, and whatnot. Um, that felt, watching this felt familiar to that. So uh, I got to give this, because of all that, um, Four and a quarter, four point two five out of for, out of five for me. Nice, nice. Uh, for me, I enjoyed this film a lot. Yeah, I've never seen it before. So again, with when it comes to Groden and his, you know, his performance, Beethoven, and again, back when I was a kid. So I know I was joking around, but I don't think I've watched this guy before as much in, in films. And after having watched this, it makes me hope that, you know, there's going to be something else I'm going to see in the future with his work, not future work, but maybe when it comes time to watch some of the past stuff for this show or, or what have you. But dude, I was impressed. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching him and De Niro on screen. I remember just thinking to myself, man, this was such a good chemistry. You know, you know, I don't know if they ever worked to get together again after this, this movie, but you know, and if they did, I've got to check it out. If not, it's, it's a travesty because it was such good chemistry and such great. They played off well. Um, you know, it was, it was a decent story. It was a good story to play into, good characters for each of them to really kind of sink their teeth into and, and develop however they wanted to develop. Um, you, know, you know, minimal special effects, we discussed that. Minimal, you don't need anything over the top because that's not what this movie's about. This movie really is a lot of, for me, a lot of it is the character development of the Jack character. We're seeing, this is more of a Jack movie and we're in this moment in his life where he comes across Charles Grodin's character. And we have to see how he kind of navigates that and gets out of it. So um, that's why I was saying earlier, like, he, you know, Grodin felt slightly more hollow in terms of this, how solid of a character he was, not the performance, but the character building, because it felt more like this movie was about focusing on Jack, the character of Jack and, and what this was, you know, that he has this last kind of run. And of course it has to be the most problems he's ever had in his career. So, um, you know, all that said, the music was fun and I felt like it fit, you know, for me, this is a little bit higher. I put this at a 4.5, $1,000 bills only because, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed this. And I thought this is one of those kind of those buddy comedy films, um, that you kind of want to use if, aspire to, if you, if you're into writing or doing these kinds of things and, and you want to do this, like you want to watch these kinds of films, you want to watch what works, take notes. This is one of those films to do it. Midnight run. Yeah, it's something that you can replicate. Uh, yeah. And if you can, chances are it's going to be a at least a minimal amount of success. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So there you go. You, There's Midnight Run. I will tell you, Chris, that he is in a movie that you have expressed that you do enjoy. He plays command, uh, commandeer driver in the Mike Myers vehicle, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Oh, he does. He does. I did not know that. Oh my god! But again, I need to. I need to see like 
full-on performances now. I want to see Groden commanding want, a screen. You want Beethoven. You don't I want, want side characters. Uh, <laughs> and to answer your question, he does not work with De Niro again. That's too bad. They really had great chemistry. I was a really, really... I'm glad we got it then in Midnight Run because it was it was pretty good, man. At least it wasn't a wasted on a, on a bad film. Yeah, it's regarded as one of his best movies. Oh, nice. All right, dude, let's move on. What's our next week? What are we doing next week? I'm so next track. I don't even know where we are. So next week we will be doing um, a little bit more in the in. Jeez, uh, we could just call this the De Niro verse. Uh, <laughs> unintentionally, uh, we're gonna look at the softer side of the mob and. The 1999 classic, Analyze This. Yo. Yeah, let me speak to Primo. Hold on. Paul Vitti's on the phone, Primo. Vitti? Vitti. Hello. Yeah, yeah, hello. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Yeah, who's this? It's me. Me who? Me, me. Me, me, me you know me, me. Yeah, how's it going? Not good, not good. Whoever did that thing to you know who, that good friend of mine, mm-hmm. they're trying to do that to me now. And I'm having a lot of feelings about that. And I'm, and I'm trying to get some, some closure. closure on that, you know? What kind of feelings? I'm, I'm very angry. I'm feeling very angry about that. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm, 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 I'm enraged. I'm feeling very, very mad about that. Yeah, so why are you telling me? Why am I telling you? Like, you don't know nothing about it? Huh? I don't know what you you're don't know nothing. About. What? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, whatever, whatever. I'm just trying to tell you, tell you about my feelings and that uh, I'm angry. I'm angry, and and, and that anger is a blocked wish. A blocked wish. And I'm looking forward to seeing you next week at that thing, and then I can unblock that angered wish, and then hopefully, hopefully, you make one more move on me, you motherfucker. I'll fucking cut your fucking balls off. I'll shove them up your fucking ass. I'll fucking bury you. I'll put fucking ice picks in your eyes. I'll chop your fucking eyeballs. I'll send them to your fucking family so they can eat them for dessert. You understand me? Hey, Paul. What? Fuck you. You motherfucker. You get a dictionary and find out what this closure is. If that's what he's going to hit us with, then I want to know what it is. Oh, where I first noticed De Niro's comedic chops. The first time I noticed him doing comedy and just thinking to myself, this doesn't make sense. This is the guy that's a gangster and he's still playing a gangster, but it's supposed to be funny. Why do you think he's funny? a gangster? His real name's Robert. <laughs> hey, Bobby. Um, all right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, before we head out, make sure you head to the website, BICBP-radio.com. Check it out. Throw some support behind some of those other content creators as well. Um, for me, I have nothing else to say. Sean, what do you got to say before we're done? Uh, well, if before I see you, the, yeah, before I fly out, before I fly out of here, if I see you at the airport without a mask, I'm going to be big mad. Um, <laughs> no, no, the, uh, the edict is still out there. Be safe, be smart, be, um, you know, just be logical, think for yourself, but also think of other people. Don't let other people think for you and, um, still wear your mask. Even if you don't have to, if the business requires you to, you should probably still do that because it's business they said so right so there if it says shoot and shirt shoot shoes and shirt required you're not taking those off before you walk in just because it says that on there right so yeah uh gotta love it anyway guys thanks so much for listening we appreciate it we'll see you guys next week until then it is now time to unsilence your thoughts